Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. And so um, that's really the the crux of what I do, and like I said, I'm honored uh, for the privilege to share with you this morning from John chapter 10. Um, You can turn there in your Bible. Uh, It will also be up on the screen. This is one of the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus has many names that he gives himself. In John 1.1, he calls himself the Word. The Bible refers to Jesus as many different names. But in this case, we're going to talk about Jesus as the Good Shepherd and the Door. Well, in 1517, a famous, very famous monk who was far from perfect was said to have nailed his 95 theses. Theses are just disputes. These are theological disputes to the door of a castle church called the Wittenberg Castle Church. And it's somewhat of a legend. Historians don't know if he actually nailed the theses to the door or not, but it's become legend that Martin Luther who had never ventured more than a little over 62 miles from his birthplace, Martin Luther would influence and change the world over through something that we refer to now in history as the Protestant Reformation. He would go on to write hymns that greatly influenced church history and even some of the songs that we sing in the modern contemporary evangelical church today. He would translate the Bible into German so that the average person could read it. But he presented these disputes with the religious elite of his time and the political powers of his time, disputing with them. And in light of that, he was put on trial in 1521. The emperor and the Catholic papacy demanded that he recant his views under the threat of a more than likely execution, an execution where he would be burned at the stake. He is famously credited with um, this, uh, this quote that's really important in the Protestant Reformation and I think important for us to consider this morning. When put on trial and told to recant, told to submit, he said this, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant because Acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. He would ultimately be saved from this likely execution by a group of friendly bandits that another royal figure would send in to help him escape. And his legacy of disagreement and confrontation with the religious elite would spark a generational shift in how people understood their relationship with God, that you couldn't earn it, that you couldn't buy it, that you couldn't purchase indulgences to get rid of sins and many other things. But Luther was far from perfect. He was a sinner with many prejudices and problems, but one thing held true for him, he was captive to the word of God. That should he die, should he be burned at the stake, should he lose his life, he was captive, he was captured by, he was in submission to God's word alone. Now, while Martin Luther is a broken sinner with various weaknesses and prejudices, this morning our text presents Jesus Christ, who being fully God, spoke to the religious elite of his day 
in some of their corruption and shortcomings and problems, and yet did it without sin. And the legacy of Jesus made it possible for Martin Luther to even interpret and share the Bible in the modern German language. There is an abundance that's experienced in the spiritual eternal life offered by Jesus. And we're going to read about that in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. We're going to start in chapter 10, verse 1. Here's what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our big idea this morning is crystal clear. It's simple but profound. The only access to eternal life is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ doesn't say that he happens to be a way to eternal life or a truth to eternal life. He says he is the way, the truth, the life. I was recently preaching on Ephesians chapter 2. Um, at my home church in Central Phoenix. And my wife, uh, who's sitting here in the front row, had brought some of her personal training clients. Uh, she's a personal trainer and has been living on mission with them. And they were likely socially obligated to come and see me preach as they don't know Jesus. And so they're sitting in the service. And after service, I, I preach and I come down and I'm speaking with them. And they said, you know, the general platitudes, hey, great job. You know, we appreciate what you said. But they talked to her later and mentioned the only thing that really bothers me about all of this is the exclusivity of Jesus. Like, like the fact that it's just Jesus. That's the whole thing in Christianity that really bothers me, that it's the exclusivity of Jesus. Well, in this text, Jesus says he's the door. He, he is like the full access to eternal life. Uh, one of my seminary professors who was a missionary in Africa with the Digo people talked about this problem where missionaries would carry around their Bible and the Digo people and other people from the African tribes would look at them, seeing them carrying their Bible, and they would try to replicate that behavior. And at first, the missionaries loved this behavior, but they didn't realize that these tribesmen were carrying around the Bible like it was a magical charm. Like you would put it under your pillow and it would take away your headache or that the Bible would somehow be this magical device like a rabbit foot that you can kind of pull out and rub. It wasn't about a relationship with Jesus quite yet. We need this text this morning not simply to understand some facts about Jesus. We have to look at Jesus for every spiritual hope and provision that we can possibly have. And if we miss that, we are on a one-way track to dissatisfaction in what we think faith in Jesus even is. Jesus 
is the only access to eternal life. Here's what the text says. Truly, truly, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Uh, One translation uses the words truly, truly, and says very truly. Jesus is emphasizing that he has the truth, and he's doing it in in contrast to what has just occurred in chapter 9. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Well, if you are a good Bible reader, you should be asking the question, who is the you? Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, in John chapter 9, Jesus on the Sabbath has just healed the beggar who was born blind. And the Pharisees are very upset about this happening on the Sabbath. And in my opinion, when I read this, I read a particularly snarky tone from the man who was healed. Because he responds to the Pharisees' problem with this in chapter 9 verse 30 like this. It says, the man answered Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he, this is Jesus, comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This is a prophecy from Isaiah 35 that Jesus would do this, but the Pharisees are missing that in this moment because they're concerned about how they've interpreted the law, the Sabbath. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Again, a theological proposition where they are incorrect in their estimation. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Like, this, this blind man is setting the template for every Christian person to say, I was blind, and now I see. Like, what do I do from here? He follows Jesus and he worships him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see your guilt remains. If if these people would acknowledge their desperate need to be able to see, then they would be able to see. But they don't think that they have a need at all. And so Jesus begins our text in chapter 10, verse 1, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. And so the audience, the you, is certainly the Pharisees. It's likely his disciples. And in addition to that, it's likely the beggar who was born blind. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. A sheepfold is, many, uh, is in many ways one of the most important things in this culture at this time. If you think about your own bank account, like a sheepfold, uh, sheep were a currency. There were other types of currency, but a sheep were an ancient bank account. And uh, part, of, part of this was having a sheepfold or a sheep pen where you would hire different shepherds to protect and care for your sheep. This was an enclosure made of stones generally, and it's kind of like the home base for the sheep. This is where their safety and their rest and their protection and the shepherd would stay. And it says, he who does not enter the sheepfold, this 
area that is destined for the safety of the sheep, but he doesn't enter by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. If uh, you imagine that there's a doorway to access the sheep and someone comes over the side, the question answer is, why would you jump over the side instead of come through the door? Well, it's because your intentions are wrong. And Jesus immediately poses something to his audience to consider, and it's this simple idea. If you are entering the sheepfold where the people of God are located, the sheep are located, if you're entering through a method that is not the access that God has commanded, we're going to see this in the text that Jesus is the door. If you are entering there, your intention is to take, not to give. But the interesting thing about Jesus that sets him apart from every other worldview, every other religious leader, every other figment of enlightenment is that Jesus says that he had come to serve, not to be served. Matthew 20, 28 says it this way, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these thieves are coming in through the side. They are trying to steal sheep or steal resources, verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. A pastor friend of mine shared a story with me probably seven or eight years ago about a very young friend of his who went to a known, uh, went to a convention or a so-called revival of, who, of someone who is now well-known as a false prosperity gospel teacher and preacher. And at this so-called revival, credit card swipers were being handed out to people in the crowd, particularly to people who are uneducated and poor, handed out, and people were told, if you will max out your credit card by faith today in giving by faith today, your family's cancer will be healed. Your infirmities will be gone. You will become rich. You will have everything you need for comfort and wealth. We have false shepherds in our world. We have false teachers in our world, and you must know and understand who is shepherding you. I was raised in a Baptist household where my mom would often say to me, no matter what the preacher says, no matter what your Sunday school teacher says, you always check it from the Bible and see if they're telling the truth. And she was right, that Jesus is the ultimate authority that the person preaching doesn't by default setting have natural authority. God's word is what has the authority. And so these thieves have this other intention, and that is to take. And so you can judge the credibility of a so-called ministry on what their intention is. Is their intention to serve and to give and to sacrifice how Jesus did? Or is it to take from you and gain wealth or power or influence? Isn't it ironic that... So many famous people come and go. We forget about them in 50 to 100 years, but we're here on a Sunday morning talking about the carpenter who was born in a manger who died on a cross. It's very different than what these modern false teachers present. Jesus is the exclusive shepherd of the sheep. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This is where the shepherd belongs. Walking through the doorway, the gatekeeper opens. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Why is the only access to eternal life through Jesus? Well, we can see it in three ways in our text. And the first is that an eternal life is received in relationship with 
Jesus. Like we often talk about in the church how we're supposed to live our lives for God, and that is absolutely true. We should give our lives away to build the kingdom if we really follow Jesus. After all, he's the one who did it first, and he's our example. But life following Jesus is not just for him alone. It's with him. It is in relationship with him. And notice that this shepherd, the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows them, they know him, and he leads them, and they follow. The gatekeeper recognizes that this is the real shepherd who's there to tend to the sheep and should have full access. Now, sheep are known to be profoundly smelly, Uh, They're helpless in the face of almost any predator. And though there's some debate on this, many people consider them very, very stupid creatures by nature. And I find it really interesting as I was studying this passage and just thinking back to the Old Testament, how often God prepares leaders, especially in the Old Testament, who were shepherds of sheep and cattle before they become kings or prophets or leaders. That this is a template that the God of the universe who holds the universe together by the word of his power would refer to himself in John chapter 10 as a good shepherd. Like this is the opposite of what the religious elite are doing in this moment. He's saying, I'm shepherding sheep. And sheep are these animals that have desperate need. Like all throughout the Bible, Christians are referred to, the people of God are referred to as sheep. They require constant care and supervision, they're prone to wandering around and falling off of cliffs. They need a shepherd. Now, um, I uh, had the privilege of crossing something off my bucket list a couple of years ago, and I feel like any time I share this story, if you love Lord of the Rings, you're going to feel like I'm bragging, and so if I am bragging from the stage while preaching a sermon, you can email Derek. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you, Uh, but I I had the privilege of going to Buckland, New Zealand, where Hobbiton is, and so if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, um, there's this area where all the hobbits live. If you've seen those films, Derek doesn't love Lord of the Rings. It's a big weak point in our friendship. But uh, in, in Buckland, it's, it's actually a working and active farm and garden. It's this huge garden. So they kept the movie set there, but they continued to farm there. And one day I was with this huge group of tourists, and we're walking on this hillside, and this tiny baby lamb, I actually captured the footage on my GoPro. It's not going to be on the screen. But the, the baby lamb runs up next to us and just looks at us. And yes, it was very cute. I know I just said sheep uh, are smelly and awful, but this lamb was super cute. It kind of trots up to us, and it can tell that it's not in any danger at all. It's very familiar with tourism. It's very familiar with all these people, 365 days a year being there. This lamb is familiar with people. It knows it's not in danger. And it had me thinking about this example of when the shepherd comes, it's a, it's a comfort to the sheep. The the shepherd can lead us out, and we know that wherever the shepherd is going, um, we can follow in safety. But a relationship with the shepherd means knowing his voice. And there are a lot of voices. There are voices like a siren call begging you to believe other things, begging you and commanding you to place your worth or your worship into other things every day, like harassing you with ads and telling you you're not enough, and the shepherd's voice seems to get drowned out. Well, how can you know the voice of the shepherd? 
I have some Christian brothers and sisters that um, talk to me as though they have a direct phone line with God and that God just speaks to them regularly. And I have some other brothers and sisters who would say, that is impossible, that's wrong. And I can't really tell you exactly where I stand on this. I know God's capable of anything. But what I can tell you is that everything you need to know about who God is and how to live a life of godliness is found in his word. And so if you say that you're a sheep under the submission of the good shepherd, then knowing his word, hearing his voice in the text, hearing who he is, has to be this desperate plea of your life. That you cannot miss out on what the shepherd has to say. Hear his voice in his word. Eternal life is received through the shepherd, not the thieves or robber, so be careful whose voice you listen to. And then pray. Ask him for help. And thank Jesus Christ for shepherding you because should any of us forget it, we often find that when we're judgmental and condemning to other people, it's because we've forgotten that we were never worthy of being shepherded by the good shepherd in the first place. We were never worthy of Jesus, but he made us worthy. And so that's the first way. Eternal life is received in relationship with Jesus. And here's the second. An eternal life is protected in the pursuit of Jesus. This is verses 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the first thing I want you to notice is that the shepherd has ownership over the sheep. And this is potentially an unpopular idea in our cultural moment, but God has ownership over his people. To me, that is a great comfort because he's our creator. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. He is taking the lead. He is in the front and the sheep Follow him. He instructs their pathway. All spiritual direction is provided through his leadership. And sheep stay or go and jump or sit down at his voice. Years ago, I was at something called the Passion Conference. And I think I had either just graduated college or I was still in college, but I was at the Passion Conference in Texas. And if you don't know what that conference is, it's one of the biggest Christian conferences in the world every year. And as me and some of my friends were walking out of this conference, we heard uh, this yelling going on. And we saw these people holding signs uh, that were condemning people coming out of the Passion Conference, telling them that they were not going to heaven for various reasons. And they were screaming at girls who were wearing yoga pants and saying that drinking alcohol meant you would go to hell and all kinds of things. And so me and the guys I was with thought we were very tough and very theologically educated. And we were going to go and shut this whole thing down with these guys. And so we were fired up from the conference and we walk up to them and explain to them why they're wrong. And I went in recognizing that the word of God is like a sword. It's a spiritual sword and it pierces and it cuts. And I go up to them thinking that I can wield this thing and I am ready for war and like, let's get this done. And by the end of this conversation, I felt like a little kid holding a plastic spork and the enemy had a lightsaber. These men who I would find out later are actually studied in seminaries across the United States are called the Church of Wells, or they're referred to in the books as the Cult of Wells. And these men, to this day, have a better 
memorization of scripture than anyone I have ever met, and I'm, I doubt I will ever meet anyone like them again. I would come to them with a scripture and they would pose from memory, looking me dead in the eyes, three to five scriptures refuting what I had to say. And I was with two friends and one friend was compelled by what they said and my other friend, not so subtly, leaned over to me out loud so they could hear it and said, these men are demon possessed. <laughs> to, which, to which I was like, that's a hot take, um, pun intended, but I was like, I was like, I, I hear what they're saying, and I'm concerned that my other friend is being led astray. Well, fast forward a couple of years, one of those friends has left the faith and deconstructed what he believed or what he said he believed about Jesus. And the one who said that those men are demon-possessed is a faithful Christian to this day. And all I can say is I love both of those men, but the sheep in the situation who heard the shepherd's voice didn't go with them. We didn't go with them. But my friend, and I don't know what he entirely believes to this day, he listened to the voice of the stranger, and there was consequences. When he has brought out all his own, when Jesus has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And all I knew in that moment when these men had dismantled what I thought my faith was is I went to Jesus in prayer and said, I can't beat these guys in a debate, but I look to you, Jesus. You're all that I have. Their knowledge or their misinterpretation or their twisting of the scripture, I can't seem to hack it with them, but you crush the serpent's head and my trust and my faith is in you alone. That you're the leader of my life and as a sheep, I'm not gonna follow the stranger. I don't understand their voice. That's not of you. I will flee from them. Jesus is this exclusive shepherd, and real sheep will not abandon him. Now, the false voices that we hear from these strangers are not just false Bible teachers. I wanted to kind of capitalize on this reality that there's three that are worth focusing in on for our time this morning briefly, and that's the voice of the world, the voice of our sinful flesh, and the voice of the enemy. The first is the voice of the world telling you to go out and worship idols. You need to have fun. Don't be lame is like the start of almost every evil thing that you're about to do. You need to have fun. Don't limit yourself. Holiness, that's an ancient, outdated, silly idea for old people. Holiness, what is that? Or what about the voice of the flesh? There's so many directions I could go with this, but I just thought about two words, shame and pleasure. The more you're noticed in our cultural moment, the more you think you're worth. The more people see you and the more attention you get, the more you think you're loved. Take more, eat more. Pleasure now. Give it to me now. But that's not the voice of the good shepherd. Or what about the voice of the enemy what about the voice of the devil? You know better than God. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say? How often is it when you are at the crossroads of choosing the narrow road or the wide road that leads to destruction and you look at an opportunity to sin and you think a version of, did God really say? I heard a pastor say it this way when a boyfriend and girlfriend are coming to a pastor and they're like, hey, what's the line on purity for us in our relationship? And the pastor can rightly respond, you're asking the wrong question. It's not how far can you go before it's wrong. It's how pure can you be in your worship? How pure can you be 
Like Jesus is worthy of that kind of worship. Satan says, as long as you don't cross this or that line, you're not sinning, but it totally misses the heart and the posture of submission to God. When I was a a little boy, I uh, got lost in Walmart as a regular practice, and uh, I quite enjoyed it, but my mom was not a fan. And from across the giant super center in Walmart, I could hear my mother's whistle. I could hear her voice and know exactly where she was. Um, And I would go to her. And I think of that with this text. When Jesus, when the shepherd, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. My sister um, is a uh, naturally sassy person by default. And uh, one time when she was a little girl, she was walking in a department store and she had walked away from my mom. And I was not born yet, so I've only heard this story as legend. But she walked away from my mother and there was a man, a big, tall, strong man who was kind of looking at my mom and noticed that the little girl had kind of walked that way and he looked at her and my mom said, yeah, go ahead, pick her up. And she, she got picked up by this big man and he smiled at her and she looked at him and said, put me down, you're not my daddy. And I think that there's something to be said in the Christian heart and the Christian experience when, when the lie of the cultural moment is screaming at you to worship and believe something that isn't from God's word to say, you're not my father. You are not my shepherd. You are not the one leading me. He has gone out before me. I hear his voice. And if you're sitting in this room and you're like, I don't know how to hear his voice. He's given you his word. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to come to earth. When you think about it, he could have sprinkled down tracks, but he didn't choose to do that. He came to earth and experienced everything, every temptation that you've experienced and overcame them. He beat them. So he has the right to be the shepherd who goes out in front that we look to, that we worship, and we don't listen to the stranger's voice. And so that's the second way that eternal life is protected as we pursue. It's protected in pursuit of Jesus. And then here's the third. And eternal life is accessed in abundance through Jesus. This is verses 6 through 10. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, This figure of speech was misunderstood by his audience, not because Jesus is a poor communicator, but likely because of the stubbornness of the hearts of those listening, especially the Pharisees, and or a misunderstanding of the figure of speech that he's using. And so he doesn't actually change the example he's using, but instead he expands the example that he's using in verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, and he repeats this phrase, truly, truly. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If you go back to verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. So Jesus has gone from explaining, and he will explain that he is the good shepherd, but he's also saying now he's the door. In the story of your salvation that we'll look at in just one moment, you'll see that Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So Jesus constantly repeats this idea of thieves and robbers. He's bringing up the fact that he is exclusively the one over and over. And he's saying everyone else who came before, the false prophets that have come before him that claim to be the Messiah or the false prophets that claim to know a truth about God that didn't come through Jesus, that they are false. He's not saying that the prophets who came before that said Jesus was coming are false. He's talking about the false teachers who came before So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Now, it was common practice for good shepherds or shepherds, at least historically, that were considered um, doing doing an excellent job in their craft, that they would sleep in the opening of the sheepfold. So no predator, no enemy, no thief that would try to enter by the door could do so without getting through the shepherd. And so when you think of a door, you don't necessarily need to think of a traditional hinging door like we have at our exits in this room, but literally think about the word access. I am the door. I am the access. There's no way in or out except through me. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He will be saved from what? From sin, saved from sin and death. He'll be saved eternally. And so you might hear that and say, well, what does it mean that they'll go in and out and find pasture? Is that like in and out of salvation and find pasture? No, it's that they'll be saved and then their ability to have every spiritual sustenance and provision that they need will be accessible in safety through God after salvation, that they can go in and out under the leadership and lordship of Jesus as the shepherd, and they can find pasture. If you know anything about raising animals and specifically cattle, after a time, they will go through a pasture and they will eat pretty much every consumable thing, and then you have to take them to another pasture. Some scholars look at this uh, particular verse and they describe the sheepfold as the church or the people of God and they present this idea that people are able to come in and out. You go into the presence corporately of God's people and you go out into the world and God provides the sustenance. And I tend to lean in that direction with this text because he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out as though this is a regular thing and find pasture. Now, Uh, when we think about pastures, and if you were a sheep, you would really be excited to go in and out and find a pasture because that's your source of food. It's your source of life, so to speak. But how much of life, even as a Christian, is wandering around in false pastures? Like, isn't so much of the faith experience, you and I as sheep, wandering into a place where there's no grass, there's no life, there's just rocks and dirt and mud, and we're desperately hungry, and we finally turn in repentance and look at the shepherd, and it's like, this way, child, this way, child. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I think is really helpful in describing this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
Like we will settle for a pasture sometime that isn't led by the shepherd, but every sheep eventually comes back in repentance to the shepherd and says, I need the pasture that you have for me. I need what you have for me, not what I thought was good for me, but what you say is good for me. Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I was sitting with Derek in um, kind of a preaching meeting this Wednesday, and he said a statement to me that I thought was really compelling in reminding all of us that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have eternal spiritual life right now. Like your eternal life has begun. And yes, barring Jesus coming back before you physically die, you, you are going to live forever spiritually. You're going to be with God spiritually. And so the, the Bible isn't just this strange book of laws and rules and checking off boxes. It's actually that right now God wants you to live in the eternal life, in the abundance that you have access to directly through him now. That you have eternal life now and you and I need to live like it. He's the door. He's the word Meditate on your Bible. Know what it says. Study it and repent of any laziness. Put away the sinful things and even throw off the unsinful things that are an extra weight. Focused, running with endurance towards Jesus. I was at City Hope uh, with one of our guests um, who some volunteers had come to me and they said, hey, we believe that this woman may be um, a, a paid prostitute and she's come into our facility and we're trying to love her, but she's been pretty mean to some of our guests. Should we ask her to step out? And uh, as the manager at City Hub, I often have to make calls in those situations, probably once or twice a month I have a situation like that. And so I decided to sit down next to her and I decided that I would take her through the personal shopping experience at City Hope. And so I did and we were picking out food and I could see her demeanor kind of getting kinder and kinder. And then we finally got to the Bibles and I could tell this was not going to be a great conversation. We got to the Bibles and I don't say that because I was judging her because of her profession. I could tell that her heart was hardened and that she had been hurt. And I looked at her and I said, well, we believe that um, everything you need is, is found in God's word. And it, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And she just looked at me and she said, I pray to myself. And I thought that was one of the most honest depictions I had ever heard of what it looks like to wander around in a pasture where you can't find sustenance. And I decided not to be rude, but in, in my head I was like, I wanted to ask her, how is that working out for you? Like you seem unhappy, you seem like things are not good, and Jesus has offered so much to you. He's offered you himself. Like the thieves have robbed you. They've taken things from you, but Jesus has offered you abundant life. And she kind of let me pray with her, and then she walked out, and I never got to see her again. But I, I think about her often because how often are we just praying to ourselves? And then we're, we're buying a one-way ticket to dissatisfaction. We're like, I'll play with the mud pies. You can have your day at the beach, Lord. I'll play over here in the slum. We have to understand that the life we have in Christ is not just a series of following rules. It's actually an abundant life right now that we can have. And the only access to it is through Jesus Christ. 
The only access to eternal life is Jesus Christ. And so we don't study God's word just to study it. We want to study it so that we can live it. And so I have three questions for you this morning before we close. Who is shepherding you? This is learning to live. Are you being discipled in God's word? And I don't mean for you to go on a witch hunt with your local staff and pastors who I love, respect, and trust. I mean in your day-to-day life, have you been intentional to get someone in your life who is older and wiser and more mature than you to sit down with you and teach you the ways of Jesus as you apprentice underneath Jesus? Who is shepherding you? And if you've come into this place and you don't know Jesus and you would say, I don't know who is shepherding me or the world and its ideas are shepherding me. The scriptures describe you as someone who's harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. God wants you to be shepherded. And we're an independent culture. We do not like to be directed or pastored or shepherded in our default setting. But we need to be shepherded. Who is shepherding you? And then the second question, where are you settling for less than God's best? Like if God has offered you abundant life, wherever you're seeking out grass, is there really grass there? Where are you settling? And the way to know whether or not you're settling is to rightly divide the word of God and to evaluate everything you see in your worldview, in your lens through what God's word says. And then this third question, and this is, a question that um, we should all be asking more. Who can you show the door Jesus to? Who can you introduce to Jesus? Like how often is it that we are trying to figure out how to grow more spiritually full on all these things that we study and we kind of, uh, I remember Francis Chan described it like hearing the play from the coach going out to the field and then never running the play and then coming back to the sideline and Sundays ending up feeling like that. Like God hasn't just equipped us to have the pastors be the ones who share the truth from God's word. The church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who is looking for the door in your life that needs to know Jesus? Are you willing to go to them? Are you willing to say, I know the door, there's only one. It's exclusive. And his name is Jesus Christ. I want to finish with a quote. This is from uh, Charles Spurgeon talking about what it means to be a sheep. The best of all is that he does it, Jesus. He does it all himself personally, not delegating the task of love, but condescending himself to rescue and preserve his most unworthy servant. How shall I love him enough to serve him worthily? I would fain make his name great unto the ends of the earth, but what can my feebleness do for him? Great shepherd, add to thy mercies this one other, a heart to love thee more truly as I ought. Let's pray. Jesus, in our own power, we cannot even love you or know you as much as we should as much as we should want to. And we just pray this morning that you would help us look to you and understand our desperate need for you more. And if anyone here uh, is feeling moved in their spirit or convicted, pricked in their spirit, 
that they've been following shepherds or voices that are really just thieves and robbers, I just pray that you would release them right now from those lies and that the truth of your word would transcend any human suffering and pain and we would all remember that you suffered for our sake and you know what it feels like. We just thank you so much for who you are this morning and we worship you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.